Okay. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. We start by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by sending peace and blessings and requesting mercy for our messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, peace be upon him and all of God's messengers. Um, so last week we started a new topic and that topic is futuwa, futuwa. And we had spent a little bit of time talking about what is the definition of this concept. And we had said that futuwa is basically put it in like a kind of easy to understand way it's basically like the warrior code of the prophets you know? I think that's, that's like kind of the cool way to think about it it's the warrior code of the prophets because the prophets are coming to teach us peace be upon them the best way to live you know and, and we had talked about I think last time um we had talked about how there's layers of guidance in Islam, right? So like there's the layer of guidance that's kind of like the lowest level. You say, if you accept this, you're a Muslim. Alhamdulillah. And, and that's okay. There's no blameworthiness in that, right? But also part of what we're striving to do is, is to recognize that what the prophets give us is a code that lays out a whole path for us. Like, here's the beginning stage. And if you stay there, that's fine. As long as you acknowledge that God exists, as long as you acknowledge the truth of the prophets, as long as you believe in divine guidance, we're okay. You could, you could do that if you want. And if you want to do more, here's everything else you could do too. Right? You can do these extra prayers. You can eat in this way. You could do that. You can have this kind of elevated consciousness. They'll make you live in a different way. And, uh, and so we always have to keep that in mind because I think that sometimes two things happen. One thing that happens is we look at the highest of ideals and then we use those highest of ideals to guilt trip other people about their behavior. <laughs> you know, There's, basically we have a two fronted guilt tripping process. Unfortunately in our community, guilt tripping seems to be one of our default ways of functioning. So the first guilt tripping is that we do it uh, with like other people. Now here's the highest of standards, and then you look at this other person and say, you're not upholding this highest of standards, you need to uphold this highest of standards, you should be ashamed of yourself, you should get the whatever else, you know, we do that whole thing. Sometimes a little bit of that is motivational and not destructive, you know, there's a difference. Uh, and then the other one that we do is we look at ourselves. We see these highest of examples and we look at ourselves and then we kind of like guilt trip ourselves. We start to be upset with ourselves like, oh, I can't do this thing. I can, ne I can never be this. I can never be that. These things that we read about, these stories, well, I'm just this person, you know. I don't even do this thing right. I don't even, like, I can't remember how to pray properly actually. And like, I don't know how to do any of these things. And like, then all these stories, they're so high and they're so like, both of these responses are not the right response actually. Like if you think about someone, maybe someone goes into business, right? What are they going to do? They're going to study business. And usually they're going to go to the library, they're going to go to the bookstore. 
and they're going to start to take out the biographies of people who have been successful in business. And they're going to read those biographies and say, wow, this person did that and they did this and they're going to take lessons from that. And they're going to recognize, like, I'm not at that stage right now, but this is something that I want to aspire to, right? Someone gets into martial arts, they get into different things. Like, they know when you start, you just suck. Like, for most people, that's how it is, you know? Especially if you're dealing with someone who actually knows what they're doing. There's like some video popped up on my feed today. It was pretty funny. It's like some, I don't know who the guy is, right? But he's like, uh, he starts off the video, he's like, if you don't know how to fight, here's my advice to you. Don't fight. <laughs> I was like, that's actually really good advice. <laughs> like, if you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what you're doing. It's okay. But you don't look at like, Someone doesn't then pick up, like, they watch UFC and they think about themselves, like, you just sit down and be really upset, like, oh, man, I'm just, like, such a bad fighter, I'm not really good. That's, that's not going to take them anywhere, right? So when we read these stories and we have these amazing stories and ideals that we have in our history, it's not to be like, oh, I'm so bad. Say, okay, this is, human beings can do this. And even if I don't get all of that, I want to get some of that. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be able to... It's like we were talking about some people recently. And I was like, man, you know, like, I don't even have to start on the team. I just want to make the cut, you know? Like, I'll be the guy who sits on the bench and shows up at practice and, like, gets dunked on all the time. But I just want to be on the team. You know, we were talking about, like, righteous people. <laughs> like, I don't have to start. I just want to be there, you know? Yeah, we're not always going to, like, be these standards. But we might have glimpses of it, right? And so the way of the futuwa, this Muslim, like, the warrior code of the prophets is basically saying like, okay, you want to aspire to something? This is what you aspire to. Like the Prophet ﷺ is never going to tell us, you can't eat this and you can't eat that and you're not going to... And then at the same time, his wife is going to say, like, for three months in our house, there was no fire that was lit. And it was just water and dates. That's all we had. I think you can fairly assume people probably brought them some milk, they probably brought them some food from time to time, but like their own internal household thing was that that wasn't happening. But the Prophet is not going to come and like take the person who's living comfortably but halal and shame them, right? But he has a, he has a different example, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, because his, his warrior code is next level, right? So when, he, when you go into the house of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you don't find anything. You can find like little... Uh, um, they have these, uh, what are those called? Simulations now? They have, like, you can search it online, you find a simulation of the house of the Prophet and you find it, right? There's nothing in it. There's like a little thing you sleep on. There's a bowl for food and water and stuff like that. And there's like a, a, and there's a bow, of course, and there's like a staff, and there's a sword, and there's a shield, and like that's the house. <laughs> you know? Does everyone else have to live like that? No, but that's how he lives, right? And you see that from like the senior Sahaba, senior companions of the Prophet. Like there's a story, one of them, I think it was Abu Darda or one of them, they went to Syria area after the death of the Prophet And someone visited him and he just started crying, you know, and he was like, the Prophet died and we left his teachings and we just became engrossed in this world. And, and then the person who's telling the story, he's like, then I looked around and there was nothing in his house. Like there was a bowl and he had like two garments to wear. He's like, we got, we got overwhelmed with this world, you know. <laughs> so this was a standard that they 
again, it's not like, oh my God, I'm so bad. Like, look at me, I live in California and I like fresh coffee in the morning and fish burritos and like, you know, I like the San Diego fish burritos over the LA ones because they're like a little bit different and, and I'm such a bad person. No, but like, there is a next level to live. And uh, this is gonna sound really funny, but one of the films that, popular films that I, I've enjoyed in this regard are the Ip Man films. Has anyone seen them? Ip Man, Ip Man, the uh, Wing Chun, you know. Those are amazing. Like actually when you see him and you see the way that he carries himself and like how he deals with these different conflicts and where are the limits on like, there's like a time in their life when he's very wealthy and there's a time in their life when they lose everything and there's a way that he deals with both of those, you know, like it's really, uh, we need that kind of stuff actually because a lot of times when we're talking about these things, we're talking about them in theory, we don't actually see them. That's why I think people like the Ertogrom show so much. You know, yeah, it's, it's fun and it's entertaining and like everyone in Latin America is watching it and like it's, it's cool. But at the same time, it's really nice to see an image. Like what, what does a matriarch look like? What does a patriarch look like? How do they deal with each other? What does is, what is chivalry look like? All of these kind of things, right? So these are all standards that we have that we, um, <coughs> we seek to aspire to in our life, basically. So this topic of study is about like not necessarily what's good, but what's best. Like, what can I, if I, if I really wanted to do like the best thing, what would it be? My caveat in this is that if you're going to take some of this stuff seriously, make sure you have living people that you're around that are balanced who can help you in that. Because it's very common. The Prophet said, He said, This deen is very strong. So when you dive into it, dive into it so Dive into it gently. <laughs> and you've seen it over and over again, you see it. People who are like, they get passionate about Islam and they just like take it to some crazy level, right? I don't mean crazy like illegal or something, but they just take it really far, you know? So we need people that can, like when we have passion, we need people who can kind of like temper our passion, put it in the right direction and make it, make it so that it doesn't go out of hand. Anyways, yalla bismillah, enough. All bringing us back up to speed, okay? So we, we're on this uh, text that we're using and in the text, we had covered points number one and points number two. He mentions 40 points as principles of this uh, noble character code, right? So number three. Number three is serve all creatures with kindness, compassion, and mercy with the intention of worshiping Allah. Serve all creatures with kindness, compassion, and mercy with the intention of worshiping Allah. It's very important that those things are together. Some people are very compassionate, but they don't have the intention. What's the limitation on this? In a, in an otherworldly sense, the limitation, of course, is you don't get this, you don't get reward in the same way. So you just didn't have intention. But even in a worldly sense, there's a limit on it, which is that, like sometimes it's easy to do what's right when it's easy. You know, what makes it? so that people can uphold what's right when it's difficult is there has to be like some extra motivation, right? Sometimes some people do that in a very secular way. They just, for some reason, this, there's some concept that they've latched onto 
and it, it just became part of them. You know, so they're able to uphold it even in difficult times. But if we want to have thing that really works, it's belief in Allah that anchors all of that stuff. So it's like, okay, it's convenient today to be compassionate, but it's also convenient tomorrow to be compassionate. And in an easy time, it's, it's, it's good. And in a, bad, in a difficult time, it's also good. And what's going to motivate me is my belief in Allah. Right? And by the way, as a side point for anyone who watches too much Islamic content online and reads from nonsense things, anyone who's made a derogatory term out of compassion has grossly misunderstood this religion. So you might hear people who have coined terms and every time I say this, someone brings some excuse. Well, they're talking about this. I'm like, look, man, am I an idiot? Like, I, I know what they're talking about. I know what their critique is. I know what their thing is. And I'm telling you, if you make a derogatory term out of something that's an essential characteristic of the Prophet them, you have grossly misunderstood this religion. Not a little bit, grossly. You're totally off. If you don't know what I'm referring to, you just don't know. But there's a big... Thing in the online world about compassionate imams and like this and as a derogatory term yeah. think about that like the Prophet them is sent as a, a compassion mercy to the world that's the primary description of the Prophet peace be upon him how can you make a derogatory term out of the primary description of the Prophet right, something's really off anyways just put that one in the back of your head use it save it for a day when it comes up if it hasn't come up yet all right so kindness, compassion, and mercy with the intention of worshipping Allah. He starts off with a story. He said it's narrated that Abdullah bin Jafar went to one of his farms and came across a young servant who was being offered food. When the servant was about to eat his meal, a dog approached him. So the servant here is actually a slave. This is a whole political, social political situation, but a thousand years ago they had slaves. Right? It's a, it's, it's a reality. So I don't want, but the rest of the story won't make sense if I don't clarify that translation. Okay? So uh, he, the, the slave was about to eat this little bit of food that they had, and a dog came. And when the dog came, the slave gave some of the food to the dog. And then it looked like it wanted more food, so he gave a little bit more to the dog. He gave a little bit more to the dog three times. All his food is gone. Abdullah bin Jafar, he saw this and he asked him, he said, how much food do you get in a day? Like, you just gave the dog all this food, how much food do you get in a day, right? He said, what you see is what I get. Like, that's the entirety of my ration, right? And uh, then uh, he said to him, why do you share most of it with the dog instead of keeping it for yourself? So he said, he said, we don't have dogs in this area. So it seems that the dog came from a distance and it must be very hungry. I could not turn him back. Right? This is the slave saying that. Abdullah bin Jafar said, so what will you do today without any more food? And he said, I'll just be patient. <laughs> like it's that simple, right? The dog came. We don't get dogs here. That means the dog must be hungry. I have some food. I'm going to give it to the dog. He took all my food for the day. What are you going to do now? I'm just going to be patient. It's all right. I'll be hungry today. Tomorrow I'll get some more food. It'll be all right. You know? Hearing this, Abdullah bin Jafar said, People tell me that I am generous. By Allah, this young slave is much more generous than me. And he was very wealthy. So he bought the farm 
and he apparently, you know, every the person too, right? And and he set him he set him free, and he gifted the farm to him. Was <laughs> a response. You know? He's like, okay, like people say, I'm generous. I don't have anything on this guy. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy the whole farm. I'm going to give it to him. I'm gonna, and I'm going to buy him too. I'm going to set him free, emancipate him, and give him the farm as a gift. Now he's set up. That would have been a proper way to deal with these kind of things, right? Rather than, you know, pass everyone, pass some law that makes everyone free, but they're stuck in a, pla a bunch of places that they can't get off of. And they don't have any work to do other than work for the people that they've been working for, not working for, slaving for, for whatever generations before that, right? This is, anyways, American history to the side. Uh, this is what he did. We'll do a little on. Then he says, service is the cornerstone of futuwa, and the prerequisite of service is love. This is a really, this point actually in the 40 is a really important one. He says, service is the cornerstone of this code, and the prerequisite of service is love. Service without love has no value, and love must be inclusive of Allah, and all of creation without exception. It must be unconditional and it must also be sincere. How many of you guys go to Dave's Hot Chicken? Anyone been to Dave's? <laughs> yeah, you know, to the uh, f food opinions are what they are. You know, there's probably some truth to them. <laughs> the point here <laughs> is that you go to Dave's, at least the location that's close to us, we pick up your food, and someone will very plastically say to you, I'm so-and-so, thank you for coming. If you need anything else, let me know. It's ostensibly an act of service, right? They've been taught this act of service to say this thing when they serve you, because that's what you do, right? You train employees to say certain things and so on. But training someone to say, the right, to say certain things at certain times doesn't actually make service. Every single one of us, when we experience it, it feels empty, right? Unless you happen to have one worker who like, actually just loves people. Every now and then you get that person. In any restaurant or any industry or whatever else, you just find that one person who just loves people. And it's like when they tell you, we're so glad you came in today, like we really appreciate you. And they're like, man, this person totally got trained to say that thing, but I can tell they mean it. It's different, right? So it has to go, that what he's saying is the service is the cornerstone of futuwa. Like you want to be an honorable person. And this is the Muslim way of understanding it. I say to nas khadimuhum, that the, the leader of a people is their servant. And you can understand that both ways. That if the person's in a position of leadership, then they have to be the servants of the people. And you can also understand it as the one who serves the people, they'll become the leader. And this is always the route. And people are like, I want to do this, I want to do that. I'm like, listen, just serve the people. Just do what needs to get done and serve the people. And if that leads, if you do that from the very lowest stages, it will, like, automatically you'll get more responsibilities. You know? Someone who comes and they're like, I just want to help any way I can. And then they just figure it out. Two weeks pass, three weeks pass, two months pass, three months pass. They're serving in other ways. They're serving in bigger ways. They're serving in bigger ways. So they end up being saved in nas through the khidmah. Through, they end up being the leader of the people through the service that they do. But the service has to be a service that is with love. It's interesting. He says that it has to be unconditional. 
There's a lot of things you read them in the tradition and you're like, wait a second, I thought that was like some Christian thing. Some people think that. You know, we talked about that in the first time that we, uh, the art of community. We had that thing about you hate what the person does, but you don't hate them. And how a lot of people in our community, they'll think that that's some Christian thing and that's not a Muslim thing. You're supposed to actually hate them. No, you're not supposed to actually hate them. You're supposed to not like what they do. If you sit and you think about it for a second, it has to be that way. I, even any human being that makes any mistake, who made them? Allah. Allah made them. I was, uh, you can't just hate them. I, you can hate what they do for sure. But we believe that human beings are created good. That's what we believe. They might make mistakes, they might do different things, they might have trauma that they need to get through. They could have any number, you know, we know human beings are complicated. But Allah still made them. So we love them. And that's it. It's the, it's, it, it is actually that simple. You know, Kulukum min Adam wa Adam min Turab. You know, all of you are from Adam and Adam is from dirt. It's that simple. Black, white, Asian, Latino, whatever else it might be. You know, Arab, non-Arab, African, whatever, you know, people are. Doesn't matter. Everyone, everyone came from the same place. And all of them, all of those human beings can be served. And, you know, sometimes I think, like if we have honor and we have dignity, then we can serve with humility and still have honor and dignity. It's okay, yeah. And you see the way that it changes people's lives. It really changes people's lives. I mean, it's simple things, not like the biggest things. Simple things like, I'm gonna invite you to the home, I'm gonna serve you some tea, we're gonna have some dinner, you need something, I'm gonna try to help you. You might not have anything to give them, but you just try to be nice, you know? So usually we can at least do that much. Then that's, uh, it's an act of service. And that service is linked to our relationship with Allah. The indicator and evidence of sincere love is service. Service to Allah and His Messenger and to His book and to the Muslims and to the entire Ummah. However, service should not be limited to humanity only, but should encompass all creatures, including animals and plants. If service is an indicator of sincere love, then how do we know that service is sincere? Right? Service is a sign of the love, but how do we know that the service itself is sincere? And then he says, service has this khidmah. I like the word khidmah better, but anyways. It's, then we have to learn too many Arabic words and that's not always convenient. But service has its own etiquette. When these etiquettes are observed, we have good reason to believe that the service is sincere. So this is what he's going to give us next. Okay. Now may Allah forgive us. It's really hard to talk about these things. right? Because we go back to the thing that I said in the beginning. You talk about it, and you're like, SubhanAllah, I don't do any of these things. Like, so why are you talking about it? It's like, it's, it's kind of problematic, you know? <laughs> That's actually one of the reasons why, I've said before, I really like to teach from text. It's not like I came up with this topic and prepared this lecture, and now I'm telling you this is what we have to do. It's like, we're sitting here, we're all reading this together. I'm, I'm listening to it, you're listening to it. And alhamdulillah, you know. Um, but in this regard, like love for love for the ummah, love for the Muslims. I always think of the story that I've told you before, but some people maybe haven't heard it before. 
of Al-Habib uh, Abdul Qadr al-Saqqaf, who was a, a great scholar and knower of Allah in our current time. Like he passed away relatively recently. And he was like the teacher of some of our teachers and stuff like that. So they say that one time he was uh, in a gathering and uh, after the, you know, after the gathering, everyone wants to talk to the sheikh, stuff like that, and they stay, he's talking to them, talking to them, talking to them, and uh, eventually they go to the car, and someone's giving him a ride, so, you know, people are walking him in the car, he gets in the passenger seat, this person who's talking to him is still talking to him, and they close the door, and uh, they start to drive off, right? So after they've driven away from where they were, uh, Habib al-Qadir, he, he told the driver, he said, can you pull the car over? And he was like, huh? He's like, can you pull the car over? He said, he said okay. And he's like, I looked at him and he looked like kind of not the same as usual, right? He said, I pulled the car over and he said, can you come and open this door? For some reason, whatever reason, he couldn't do it himself. You know? and everyone always has these questions. Well, what about this? Why did that happen? Like, so, what ifri is very dangerous. <laughs> Sometimes we lose the point on everything with what ifri. Okay, so he tells him, "Can you come open the door?" And he comes and opens the door, and he finds that the sheikh's hand was in the door. And he was like, "Like sheikh, how come you didn't say anything?" Like the guy, when he closed the door, he closed the door on your hand. Like, first of all, he didn't respond. Like the guy didn't know that he closed the door in his hand. Imagine like how strong. These people are, right? People, uh, so he, and he said, he said, who am I to break the heart of someone from the Ummah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? He said, how can you didn't say, he said, who am I to break the heart from someone of the Ummah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Like this guy was coming, he wanted to honor me, he wanted to help me, he wanted to walk with me, he wanted to do all these things. If I told him that he closed the door in my hand, it would have like really hurt him, you know. So we just wait a little bit, open the door. It's like one of those stories, you know. All the good stories, for some reason, we want to believe that they're make-believe. That's why I got you a story. It's current. <laughs> you know, people we've seen saw him, right? There's not, there's not a big distance in the chain of narration of the story. It's like people were there. They told it, you know, it reached us. What are the 11 etiquettes? Etiquette number one, subhanAllah. Doing it without belittling the person served. Service, etiquette number one, doing it without belittling the person being served. This is a big issue. And uh, it needs also extra attention in the world of social media. You know, like, it became that the way that we do anything is by uh, like making a scene out of it, you know. So people will serve food to those who are in need, but it turns into like a video and it turns into like a promo video and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, and the people who are being served, their faces are in the video and stuff. You're like, subhanAllah, this is like, maybe they don't want, like you just gave them zakat. Like, you know, like it, it's sensitive, you know. Um, so doing it without belittling the person being served That's really challenging, yes
self-funded, so how do you balance between making sure that you're not belittling? You're serving people with dignity, but also you are able to get the funding needed to serve those. Yeah, it's a good question, inshallah. You probably know the answer to that question better than I do. But uh, if, if you didn't hear the question, it was some people are working in places of uh, service, and sometimes you have to show what you've done in order to get funding, right? So how do we balance this? I mean, I think that's you know where we have to exercise some creativity. Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to. I mean, I think there's ways you can. Uh, we can talk about what we've done. We can even show what we've done sometimes without making, without exposing like particular individuals, for example, or without speaking about people in a way that um, uh, would make them feel kind of sensitive, you know. And and this is these are not easy issues, you know, just to be clear, because a lot of this is dictated by culture, you know. Even I was having this conversation with my wife recently, and we differed. I had a different cultural perspective on it, you know? <laughs> I don't know, you know, we're coming from different places, maybe. I'm not trying to offend anyone. If you said this to me, I'm not taking any offense from it, anything like that, you know? But it was on the question of like, when you come up to someone, you tell them, oh, you look tired, are you okay? And, and I, w I was taking the position of like, there's a little bit of disrespect in that, you know? Yeah, I'm like, you know, like, even if you think, like, especially if the person's like your teacher or something, you know, and you look up to them, you're like, Sheikh, you look tired, are you all right? I've actually seen that be said to one of our teachers, you know? And he was like, how about you don't worry about that? <laughs> like that's, that's not for you to worry about right? that's, for, that's for me and whoever I look up to That's for them to worry about It's not for you to worry about right? um, And she was just saying like No, like people some, like Sometimes you have different cultures Some people are saying it with different intentions And like, you know it's, And I get it Like there is There's a lot of variation here And that's part of the challenge I think Especially in America Because you're not dealing with some level of uniformity in culture, you know, where like you can assume, okay, I'm going to do this and people are going to understand it in a particular way. You really can't. It's very difficult. And I just say this when I was working as an imam, like I used to feel like a lot of my personality was hidden because you're dealing with a community that's really diverse and the only way to keep things like stable is to just be really plain, you know, um, for better or for worse. And in other cultures, you wouldn't see that. Like, when we lived in Egypt, you wouldn't see that with the shiuch. They weren't really plain. They understand exactly who they're dealing with. They know who they are. They know who their people are. They know exactly how to talk to them, what the limits are on it. What's, they know exactly what to do. And everyone understands it. And Americans would come in and we'd see it and we'd be like, oh my God, what is happening here? <laughs> like, this is crazy. <laughs> Why does the interaction look like this? And so, but because culture has a big part of this. Emotional intelligence is very much mitigated by culture. Like, how do I deal with this situation? How do I, deal? How do I talk to this person? So anyway, so doing it without belittling the person served, it's going, you know, 
It's a little bit, it can be challenging. But at least we should consider it. And I think as long as we consider it, and as long as we're sincere about it, then we might make mistakes, but inshallah we'll fix them. And, and Allah will also hopefully by, by our sincerity and our goodwill, uh, protect us from being humiliated by our mistakes. Now Allah is satir, subhanAllah. Allah is like so many things Allah conceals. All right, number two. Number two etiquette for serving is to do it without arrogance. To do it without arrogance. It's really funny because you think if you're serving, you really shouldn't have arrogance, right? But a lot of people do, <laughs> you know? And, and a lot of times, SubhanAllah, man, Allah protect us. We, we can't get uh, overwhelmed by the show sometimes. Like sometimes people will serve so that they can be served. They'll serve so that people see them serving and be like, oh, you know, you can't serve. <laughs> like, you know, he, this person's so humble, mashallah, we should help them more. And like, it's really, uh, so we should do it without arrogance, serve people without arrogance. Number three is doing it with sincerity only for the sake of Allah. Oh, what's the motivator? And there's some, there's some signs for that that are really difficult signs, actually. But they're really important. Like if someone does something really for the sake of Allah, the response doesn't matter. It's a really hard one. You know? Like if you get praised or you get blamed, they say the person who's really sincere, praise and blame are the same to them. They don't see either of them. <laughs> it's like I did this on principle, it doesn't matter. Someone praised me, someone uh, didn't praise me, someone blamed me even. That's okay, I did what I was supposed to do. By the way, this is the feeling of the person who did the thing. We, we make a mistake sometimes. That's not what the person who received the thing should be doing. Okay? So the teaching is that if I do something, I don't look to get thanked for it. The teaching is also, if someone does something for me, I thank them for it. Okay? So don't, don't wear both hats at the same time. And again, like one of the most important principles of etiquette and of conduct code and all that kind of stuff is I'm looking at it for myself, not for someone else. So if I'm looking for someone else does something for me, I'm not looking at it like they shouldn't want to get thanked. I'm not going to thank them. Oh, what is that? That's not my problem. My problem is someone did something for me, I need to thank them. That's the sunnah of the Prophet Whoever doesn't show gratitude to people, they're not grateful to Allah. That's what the Prophet says. So, number four, <coughs> seeing the service as the right of the needy. Seeing the service as the right of the needy. You're not. We're not doing them a favor. This is their right. This is, we're people who live together. Sometimes some people have more. Sometimes some people have less. Everyone's still a human being, everyone still has dignity, everyone still has honor, and everything comes with rights and responsibilities. And so if, if, if one of us is in a position where we're able to help those who are in need, then that's their right over us. It's not like uh, we did some sort of tafaddan alayhim, you know, like we didn't uh, honor them in some sort of way because we served them. A'udhu billah.
Uh, number five is not expecting anything in return. Not expecting anything in return. We already talked about that. Number six, doing it with the intention of worship. You might be thinking, didn't he just say doing it with sincerity only for the sake of Allah? And now you're saying doing it with the intention of worship. Isn't that the same? Is it the same or is it different? What do you think? Slightly different? How is it slightly different? Anyone? Yes, anyone. Mm. Versus like You can be sincere And, and not fulfilling that Like And there's a conflict of it in like your life I think Yeah Like I think like what parents uh, Might have Different intentions at different times They're mm. both good mm. There's no like badness in mm. serving them mm. <laughs> yeah, so we could be sincere. So if we understand like worship as part of the purpose of our existence, right? Like we could be sincere about why we're doing something, but not feel like we're fulfilling our purpose. But actually, if we see it as worship, then we know that not only is this something that I'm doing for the sake of Allah, but it's part of why I exist in the first place. Like this is this is why I'm here. Um, and, and also, it brings a different flavor to it. So part of, part of worship is devotion. Part of devotion is loving. Uh, what's the word Sheikh Yasser Fahmi uses all the time? Loving submission, I think. Loving surrender. Loving surrender. Yeah, he uses loving surrender a lot. As like, this is ibadah. Ibadah is loving surrender. It's like there's a, there's a feeling of... I've, I've committed myself with love and devotion to you, Allah. And so when I'm doing this service, I'm not just doing it because, for your reward or something, but I'm doing it because this is like what I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to do, and this is a worship. Okay, number seven, not thinking about it later. Not thinking about it later. <laughs> you know, we're not keeping tabs. Not keeping tabs. No. So much of... Uh, You know, if you need to build a resume or something, just write it down somewhere and then forget about it. And go back to it when you need it for your resume. But otherwise, just forget about it, you know? You need to be like, sit down and be like, okay, I did this favor to this person, and this favor to this person, this favor to this person, I helped this person. All of that would be against everything else. And of course, the Prophet ﷺ taught us that one of the people in the shade of God on the day when there's no shade but his, is the one whose right hand gives so freely that their left hand doesn't even know what they did. Right? There's not, they're just giving, 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 giving. The best thing actually is to get this habit. Anytime, like, don't only think about money. There's a lot of things we can give. Money is one of the things that we can give. There's a lot of things that we can give. But we should get in the habit of just giving. And don't think about it. Inshallah. Number eight, not doing it to show off. Not doing it to show off. (coughs) (coughs) 
Allah forgive us. Kind of They're related. But you could do something with arrogance and not try to show off about it. Right? Like someone could say they. <laughs> the example. I, sometimes I think of examples in my head and I know you shouldn't go down that route. <laughs> like there's. You didn't think about that one enough. There's for sure some issue with this. You're probably going to get in trouble. Uh, like, you know, but you can think of scenarios where someone. Say someone is going to. Um. Take something really simple. They're going to go and give some food to uh, people in downtown San Diego, you know. And but they go and they feel really arrogant about it. They don't show off about it. They don't make a video about it. They don't show it online. They don't share it with their friends. They don't do anything. But they're still arrogant about it. And then another, like another level, is they're showing off about it. I don't know. I feel like if you're showing off, there's probably some arrogance. Yeah, I feel like that one kind of entails the other. Allahu Akbar. You could, but then it wouldn't be showing off. It would. It would be more like you're sharing it, or you know, showing off is more like look at me, you know, and I'm very important. <laughs> I did this great thing. What if it's like? You know, I did this thing and I felt it was beneficial for me and for others and I'm sharing it with you so that maybe you can benefit from it. The lines get a little bit slippery, but still there. It could be uh, done. A lot of the greatest people in the world, they're completely hidden. It's contrary to how we understand things. But they say that that the the default or the right position of the prophets is that they're a parent, right? Like if someone is a prophet, they have to be a parent. It's totally known and totally clear this person's a prophet. Everything about them is known. And the, and the right of the righteous people is that they're hidden. So most, of, and even if they're in plain sight, what you see is still far less than what they are. It's like they said about Umar ibn Khattab when Abu Bakr was asking people what they think about him when he wanted to make him the Khalifa. You know? And he asked one of the companions, he said, what do you think about Umar? And he said, we don't know anything but good from him. And what we don't know about him is far greater than what we know about him. Look at this, like, look at these words, you know? You're like, how did they do that? <laughs> how beautiful is that statement? Like, you get asked a question, that's your response immediately? We don't know anything but good about him, and what we don't know about him is far better than what we know about him. Ah, that's amazing. And, and the righteous people are like that. So as much as they can keep hidden, they keep it hidden. Again, sometimes we have practical considerations. We live in life, we live in community, we live in... We don't only give charity in secret, even the Qur'an says that, right? That Allah praises those who give charity in secret, and He praises people who give charity in open. Sometimes we have to also... You know, be part of developing good cultures and be part of developing, pushing people towards good and so on. It's okay. Again, it's not to like blame one or the other. But it has to be done without showing off either way you look at it. Even if it's become known and it's publicized. 
It should be done without people knowing about it, without them showing off. That's why actually most of the mashayikh and stuff, they don't manage their own content in those kind of things. Like if someone makes a video that has like a clip of them saying something or something like this, it's not usually them who's done it. It's someone else who did it. You know? They saw it, they did it for them type thing. You know? Or even if they have a system to do it, maybe they're part of the organization, some organization, the organization's like, you know, it'll be good for us if we do this particular thing, but they just won't be a part of it. We're kind of like, okay, gee, whatever. It's not, but that's not what I'm going to focus on. Right? So with these things, we just have to be... The heart is very, um, very powerful. And because it's very powerful, it's very sensitive. So, you know, um, maybe we'll just leave it at that. Number nine, forgetting the good one has done. It's related. Not thinking about it later. Forgetting the good one has done. They're related. Number ten, thanking Allah for granting him the opportunity to serve. Thanking Allah for granting him the opportunity to serve. I may have mentioned it, but Abu Hanifa radiallahu anhu said something amazing. He said, he was asked, how did you get knowledge? He said, I got knowledge through hamd and shukr. I got knowledge through gratitude and thanking Allah. Every time I learn something new, I thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah said, if you're grateful, I give you increase. So anytime we're able to serve, then we say, thank you Allah for this opportunity to serve. And then number 11, he says, asking forgiveness for not being able to render a better service. So I'm sorry I couldn't do more, you know. Uh, again, like... We have to try to build ourselves up so that we're not broken people. When, when we're, and, and this is not a blame on anyone, you know, like all of us are struggling through different things. But sometimes when we hear things that are sound, but we ourselves are kind of broken, we don't always interpret them right. So like someone could read this asking for forgiveness for not being able to render a better service. We read a lot of these things and these things. And they kind of feel humiliating to people sometimes. Like, I shouldn't do this, or I shouldn't do that, or whatever. But like, if we're stable enough in ourselves, we might not perceive it the same way. Like, I have a teacher, may Allah make you know, that true, that he's actually a teacher of mine, and that I'm actually not a bad student. <coughs> We'll often say things like, I'm sorry, you know, we can't do more for you. So I'm, I'm, I, don't, I, I don't take care of your rights as much as we sh- I should, but I'm trying, you know, stuff like this. And like, I know in my head that this person is literally caring like thousands of people. You know, without exaggeration. Like, probably all over the world. And, but that's their response. You know, I wish I could do more. I wish I could, you know, sorry I didn't, I wasn't, sorry I didn't respond. Sometimes the messages are really funny. It's like, I'm sorry I wasn't able to respond. I was in a place where there's no service. Like weeks had passed, they're in some forest and there's some random place, you know? <laughs> Anyways, I shouldn't say that out loud. Um, the feta is like a tree. He continues, the feta is like a tree. Allah decides what fruit the tree will bear and who will, who will eat it. This is a beautiful statement he says here. The feta, that person who follows this code, is like a tree. Allah decides what fruit the tree will bear and who will eat it. Allah also decides who will be shaded under the shade of that tree. Therefore, a person who serves others should see himself or herself as a means of Allah and should not attribute to himself or herself any agency. On the contrary, they should thank Allah for giving them the opportunity to serve others. 
they've taken themselves out of the process. Just a conduit. Allah's doing whatever He's doing, and there's people who are being helped, and the person who's in between is just the person in between. You know, alhamdulillah, if Allah gives us the ability to do that. Then he says, keeping up with these etiquettes and avoiding any attribution of personal agency are not easy. This is the reason why service is the most basic method of moral education. Service is the most basic method of moral education. By serving others, one is freed from all vices and is healed from all diseases of the heart. Service purifies people from all bad habits and personality diseases, such as pride, arrogance, envy, selfishness, and vengeance. Thanks to service, humility replaces arrogance, sharing replaces selfishness, and forgiveness and ihsan, excellence, replace revenge. For this reason, people of service quickly progress and evolve spiritually. Beautiful, that's a beautiful paragraph, mashallah, a very beautiful paragraph. That's what I always tell people, right? In the, the mission statement of the Majlis, religious education, spiritual refinement, love, and service. That's it. If, if you can't keep up with all of the teachings and all of these different things, just remember, if I love people and I serve people, I'm on the right way. I'm going in the right direction. When the person who is serving is doubtful about their sincerity, they should seek refuge in Allah and ask Him for protection, for protection from falling into hypocrisy and showing off. That's it. The implication of that is they don't stop. Right? You do something good, you do something good. You're worried about whether or not we're sincere, seek, protect, seek refuge in Allah and keep doing it. Inshallah. Okay, we'll stop here. Hada wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Anyone have any questions or comments or anything? I have a question. Yes. Um, so, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but this kind of like, it contradicts, like, not thinking about it later and then asking for forgiveness for not being able to render a better service. Like, those two statements seem contradictory. Like, if you're asking forgiveness, you're clearly thinking about it later. So, you're like, Hmm. Is there a contradiction between not thinking about it later and asking forgiveness for not giving, doing a better service? <clears throat> the way I would see it is that when we ask that forgiveness, it's like basically right when we've done it. You do something for someone, you make that statement, you don't go back to it. Yeah. And not thinking about it later is just like, you know, we know how it is. Sometimes you deal with people who are holding everything over you forever. You know? Don't be like that. <laughs> and also don't be like, we shouldn't be so absorbed with ourselves like we're just sitting around thinking about how great we are because we did this and we did this and we did this. No, just do it and move on. Allahu Anyone else? Yes. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, where is the line between service and enablement? You know, maybe you have a sibling and that person just doesn't do anything and you just keep giving to them and they just keep taking, you know. 
Um, well, there's two things that come to mind for me immediately. I think that a lot of these things that are, these are, these are the complicated questions, right? Like, and, and I think that oftentimes with the complicated questions, uh, they're kind of things that they get sorted out over time in conversation and contemplation experience and stuff like that. So take whatever I say with a grain of salt. But two things come to mind. Number one thing is that service doesn't always look the same way. Maybe there's a point where I'm serving person X by giving them financial support. And then maybe there's another point where I'm serving person X by telling them, look, after the, for the next four months, I can continue to do this for you. And here's what we're going to do over these four months. You're going to do this and this and this and this, and I'm going to help you get on your feet and everything else. But, you know, you have to do this. So that's a possible, that's number one point that comes to mind. Maybe that's what your service looks like. The second point that comes to mind is human existence is very diverse. The reality of it is that there will be people who just need to be supported. And you can try, we could try to do certain things for them, we could try to empower them, we can try, but for whatever reason, Maybe it's for a long time, maybe it's forever. They're just going to need some support. And I think that in kind of like traditional societies, that was understood. Like you have a big family, you have 60 people in your family, you have 100 people in your family. You have 15, maybe you have like 15 brothers, you know. And there's one of them that everyone just knows like this guy is not going to get his thing together. <laughs> and the other 14 brothers are just like, you know, we're probably just going to be supporting this guy for a lot of his life. And they would build their homes and their communities and their architecture and everything around this reality. You know? and, and no, we're not. Like in the end of the day, they're not just going to sleep on the street because they're still our brother. Person's still my brother. You know? And if I have to pay his bills for his whole life, then alhamdulillah, that Allah gave me the ability to do that. And... You know, may Allah protect us from being in a situation where we're not able to. And that's honor, you know. Uh, maybe that's not the popular answer. People don't agree and stuff, but like, zakat is there for a reason. You know, and uh, the most deserving people of zakat are our own family members. If they're not from our dependents, right? Like we have family members who are not, if they're from our actual shari dependents, we're required to take care of them anyways. Uh, but if they're not from that category They're still the most deserving of our charity And um, I think that sometimes it's just the case And, and that's what makes like, it, Go back to Ertugrul, right? The real, the true bay, right? Like the true leader of the tribe Knows this I'm going to have people They're just not going to produce the same way as other people do And they're still part of my tribe And I'm going to try to control their harm and we're going to manage the situation the best that we can. And that's just part of honor, you know, that this is, you know, we deal with that. I, and I think that our society, like as our American society, doesn't really have this at all. And we see the disgusting consequences of it, you know. People are just thrown out, like they don't matter. And, uh, and people matter. 
And it's not that we don't have enough resources. Like we have so much money in this country, it's unbelievable. So people need to be treated like animals still. Why are they treated like animals? It's horrible. May Allah forgive us. <coughs> but anyways, truth is probably in between those somewhere. Anyone have anything else? Yes. actually a really good question. By the way, general policy at the Majlis is you can come and go anytime that you want. I know there's some new people. If you need to leave, go ahead and leave. As long as people ask questions, I usually don't leave. So you might get stuck. If you feel like I can't be impolite, if I get up, it's impolite, all this kind of Just get up and leave if you need to leave. It's fine. No problem. If you, if you can't come on time and you can only come late and stuff like that, just come late. It's okay. It's no problem. Uh, the question is, how do we know who is responsible for who when it comes to needy people? Like, at what point do I become responsible for someone? You know? Uh, hmm. So we start at the first, the first layer is People who are actually under my financial responsibility, shara. And that's a whole category in fiqh. We can't, I can't do it off the top of my head and we can't do it today. Um, but certain people are responsible for everyone. Like a father is financially responsible for his wife and for his, and for his minors, uh, dependent minors. Technically speaking, he's financially responsible. If they cannot do that, that's a different conversation. But let's assume that the person has enough to be able to do that, then they're responsible for that person. Um, if they have a sister, for example, and their parents have passed away, and their sister is like a widow, or their sister's not married, or whatever else it might be, they're responsible, they're financially responsible for their sister. You know? Um, so there's a number of different possibilities. Okay? Second layer of responsibility, that's like, this is zakat aside. We're not even talking about zakat at that point, right? Then you bring the next layer, which is zakat. Like Allah has ordained that 2.5% of our wealth, our standing liquid wealth, uh, has to be paid on if it reaches a certain amount after a year, right? That payment itself should go to those who are closest to us first. Geographically and lineage-wise. Lineage and then geographic actually But both of them together is ideal um, So those would be my first responsibilities If after that we run into like Other cases Like I don't know I'm just kind of stable And I meet someone in the community who's really not And they don't really have anyone to help them And nobody really knows about their situation But now I do Am I now really responsible for this person in that way? Probably not by way of obligation. As we talked about in the beginning, the difference between what we're obligated to do and what we should do, or what would be honorable to do. So by way of honor, we might be responsible for that, but not by way of sin. You see the distinction? So um, 
we're also not required to like uh, harm ourselves in order to help someone else. You know, again, so most of like most of the difficult questions are probably going to follow fall in the realm of not being ob obligations, anyways. They're more like it would be good if we did this. You know? um, as a, on an individual level, on a communal level, it might be a little bit more complicated. You know, maybe. Maybe the community has obligations to help certain people. Um, not maybe, the community definitely has obligations to help certain people. For example, it's a communal obligation that the Muslims are able to get buried. If a person can't afford to get, if a person can't afford to die, which is like a very American reality, right? Can't afford to die. It costs too much to get the space in the ground, costs too much to wrap the body, all these kind of things then it's actually a communal responsibility to do that. And, and not from zakat, that's not a zakat expenditure, that's a communal obligation expenditure. Uh, we have, that's a different fund, you know? So anyways, these are um, interesting things, but that's probably the most I can say on it. Yes? Okay. Zakat should go to family first. We have hypothetical scenario that you have an adult male who pays zakat to let's say this let's assume this person is more elderly, elderly adult male who pays his zakat to his elderly siblings who ha who are they don't have themselves enough money to pay zakat. They could receive it, but they're under the care, I'm assuming of uh, adult children who have money. So should they be giving it to those siblings or not? It's a good question. I'm not sure actually. So this needs a little bit of, this one would need a little bit of review. Because there's some interesting questions around that, you know? Same thing could apply to, like say, we're in the US, right? Many college students in the US are financially supported by their parents. Technically, they're probably Zakat eligible as like adult, adults who don't have anything, but they're totally taken care of. So should we be paying zakat? Should I pay my zakat to my nephew when like I know that my brother's actually kind of like well off and he's taking care of my nephew, but my nephew doesn't have anything and I want to pay my zakat. Should I give it to him? Yeah, it gets a little bit questionable. I'm not sure, it needs some, uh, that would need some research. It needs a proper scholar. And I just need someone who can do the research. Realistically, I probably won't be able to. <laughs> but if, I, if somehow I remember it and I'm able to ask someone who uh, would not need to do the research and would just know off the top of their head, I will let you know, inshallah. Yeah. Uh, yes? 
It's a good question. I mean, uh, the question is, say someone is, say they have someone that they're taking care of, right? Say it's a family member, they're taking care of them, and that person needs that help. But they're taking care of them is at the expense of their own family. I feel like there's a lot of details here. Like what that means is an important question. Like some people would look at it like you shouldn't be supporting them because we need to be able to like eat out more, it's you know, more like or, or like eat. Yeah. I mean, if they're not able to meet their basic needs, they probably shouldn't be supporting someone else. Does it become sinful for them to do so? It could be. It could be sinful for them. Yeah. If you, if, if we have an... Like Imam al-Ghazali said, that to leave the order between good things is bad. So I might have person A that I need to take care of and I have person B that I need to take care of. But A is a higher priority. So if I take care of B at the cost of A, like the basic level cost, not the extra cost, basic level cost, could be a problem. Could be sinful for that. Yeah. Low on. Yes. Yeah, then you give it to someone else. So, you know, zakat, zakat has to go to Muslims. Because the Prophet ﷺ commanded, I think it was Mu'ad when he went to Yemen, he said, take it from, take the wealth from their wealthy and give it to their, to their poor. And what he meant by that was like the wealthy Muslims, you take it from the wealthy Muslims and you give it to the poor Muslims. So there's other charities that we have, of course. And this is one of the problems in the Muslim community is like, we stop at zakat a lot of times. Zakat is not the only obligation of charity. We're, we're obligated to be charitable beyond zakat. But, um, but zakat as a specific expenditure, unless it was like a really extreme situation where there were no Muslims that needed it or something like that, which is possible. Historically it's happened in a couple places. But um, if that was the case, then maybe there's an exception. But the general rule for zakat is that it needs to go to Muslims. So if all of our family is not Muslim, then we just wouldn't give them zakat. We give it to someone else. Um, what's the zakat on $10,000? $250. Just so we're like in the, we can understand the range of numbers we're talking about here. <laughs> you know? For a lot of us, the cat is probably not very much. Yeah. 
if at all. Uh, anyways, should review the rules of zakat in a different time, inshallah. Yes. Like, yeah, sometimes we want to <coughs> recall something good that we've done because we want to invite someone else to it. And that's understandable. Ide- ideally, we don't have to do that too much to convince them to come. You know? It's like one brother told me he was with uh, someone, and they stood up after Salat, and everyone stood up, and the brother was like, all right, let's go. And the other guy was like, where are we going? And he just looked at him and was like, I guess we're not friends. Because like a friend doesn't have to f- ask the friend, where are we going? When they go, they just go. <laughs> That's the old school. I know these are not, I live in fairy tale land. You know, there are people like this, but you know, I do, you know, sometimes we need to encourage people a little bit and that's you know it's fine um, should just be careful whatever is the least we can say in order to do that we'll do that sometimes you have to say a lot and maybe that's a necessary exception but, uh, and sometimes by the way we need to remember the things that we did because we don't have like enough we just have down times you know when I used to work as an imam I used to have a, someone made it for me, it was called the Box of Good Vibes. And it was like any good thing that I received, we put it in the, I put it in the box. And I would never really look at it, unless I was <coughs> having like a really bad day, you know. It was like too much community drama and this is going on and that's going on, whatever. And like you start to tell yourself that you've actually never... You start to actually think that you really haven't ever done anything good. <laughs> you're like, okay, now I need to remember a little bit. Like, okay, no, I did do this, I did this. I'm like, those are good things, you know. So it's not, you know, I think that we can take the general principles and try to understand the general principles and know that they're going to have exceptions. And we don't have to be weirdos about it, you know. Like, just be natural. And when, if we're natural about it, then if we're sincere, and we're worried about the state of our hearts and we're trying to be honest and we just keep things natural then we'll kind of know like okay it's alright right now and sometimes we might think it's okay and afterwards we might feel like okay well I said too much shouldn't have gone that far and it's okay it's like part of it that's how we learn you know? like life has to be learned step by step little bit little bit little bit little bit I told some people recently like there's a brother, I messaged him in Gambia, West Africa. The rainy season in Gambia is very difficult because it's a lot of rain and there's really bad infrastructure. 
roads are dirt, nothing's taken care of, like it's really tough. It's like the malaria hotbed of the world, you know, <laughs> West Africa is like, rainy season's hard, you know. So I, I messaged one of the brothers, I asked him like, you know, how are things? How are he said, very simple message. He said, you know, rainy season in Gambia is very difficult. He says, but little by little we manage. That was his whole message. And I was like, SubhanAllah, that's so profound. Like, it's actually really, really profound. Like that's how we, extremely difficult situation, how do we do it? Little by little, we manage. Alhamdulillah. Uh, and I think a lot of these things, like these values that we're trying to live, these things that we're trying to embody and these virtues and everything else, and these principles that we're trying to uphold, little by little we try to do them. We make mistakes here and there, we adjust them. Little by little we figure it out, inshallah. And the hope is just that 10 years past, 15 years past, 20 years past, we're not the same as we were 20 years before. As long as we do that, everything's good. Okay, وأعلن الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه وارزقنا حسن الخاتمة اللهم ارزقنا حسن الخاتمة اللهم عنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك اللهم يا عالم السر منا لا تهدك الستر عنا وعافنا واعف عنا وكن لنا حيث كنا اللهم انقذ قلوبنا لك ونبهنا من الغفلة عنك اللهم انقذ قلوبنا لك ونبهنا من الغفلة عنك اللهم اجعل آخر كلامنا لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله عدد كمال الله وكما يليق بكمال سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين